When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 73, and we are recording on March 21st. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, <laughs> hello. Salutations. <laughs> I actually, it's so funny <laughs> because oh I my. used that in this week's Swords and Spaceships newsletter, oh. and I don't know where it came from, but it suddenly popped into my head. So apparently it's like going around. Is it contagious? Is salutations contagious? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I, I, I actually have no idea where I got it. <laughs> I think data from Star Trek is where... I'm reading a lot of, like, Jane Austen and Edith Wharton at the moment, so that's yes, my excuse. Edith Wharton. Yeah. I'm reading House well, of Mirth, finally. She's so good. Mm-hmm. She's such a smartass. Right? So they, well, they both are, really. Well, yeah, just obviously. <laughs> is it true that Keeping Up with the Joneses thing is about Edith Wharton's family? Have you heard that? Ooh, I don't know. But I would not be surprised. I keep hearing that the phrase Keeping Up with the Joneses originated with Edith Wharton's birth family like her maiden name was jones and so that's where that came from was her really super wealthy new york family and i just can't i can neither confirm nor deny the veracity of that and i would really like someone to tell me i will so if you know if that's true and you're out there please email me i will probably fall down a google rabbit hole later do it do it do it all right anyway yeah anyway so welcome to the show uh so how the show works is if you have a reading recommendation that you need help with whether it's, you know, you want to read a like for a book that you recently read and loved, or you need to give somebody a gift, or you need something for your book club, or whatever, you send us those reading recommendation requests, and we answer them on the show. You can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that is at the bottom of all the show notes on the site. Uh, if your question is time-sensitive, please note it either in the subject line or in the very first line of your question so that we can get to it on time. We do answer some questions via email. If it's time-sensitive, we know we're not going to get to it on time, or if we've already answered your question on the show, we will email our answers to you so that you have them. Um, and subpoint that's something like that we just started doing a couple of months ago. So if you sent in a question a long time ago that we haven't gotten around to yet, we did not ask for emails then. So we will not be emailing you. Sorry. Oh, I realize yeah. I never mentioned that. <laughs> like, right. And if you if you have not heard via email or via on the air, it could mean that we just haven't gotten to it yet. But you can also feel free to resubmit your questions. I am going through the old ones trying to track down some emails. So anyway. Anywoot. All right. So let's get started. We will read our first question and then do our first sponsor and get this party started. Indeed. Sure. Okay. okay. So <laughs> our first question is from Rosin, who says, I'm 20 years old, and after years of struggling with my sexuality, I found a place for myself in the queer community. I've met wonderful, supportive people, but the thing is, they are all my age. I don't think I know anyone in the community over 25. There is a huge disconnect between young LGBTA people and the generation that came before. We know so little about our history. Almost everything we know about the AIDS crisis comes from movies and TV, and I'm sure you can see why that is a problem. Quote, unquote, people were dying and the government did nothing is the extent of our knowledge. So I'm hoping you can recommend some LGBTA 
history books or memoirs specifically about Ireland and the UK in the 80s and 90s. I'm also open to earlier time periods in different regions, but those are my key interests. Good question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, our first sponsor is Playster, which if you are an avid ebook and or audiobook consumer, you are going to want to hear about. Um, their platform has ebooks, it has audiobooks, it also has music and movies and TV shows and games, and you pay one flat monthly fee for access to all of them. So, like, there's no credit systems, there's no restrictions, you can just have whatever you want that is on their site for one flat monthly fee. Um, and you can get to it through web browsers. They have Android and iOS apps. Um, and there's an offline mode. So if you need to save your things for, I don't know, plane reading, or there's no internet in the cabin in, that you're going to for your vacation, uh, you can still get access to those things if you save them in offline mode. And you can get a free 30-day trial if you use code BOOKRIOT90. That's nine zero, uh, And that code is only good until April 3rd. So it's like late March now. You should get on that. Um, But yes, if you go to Playster and when you sign up, oh wait, no, excuse me. It's in, is it a 90 day trial or is it a 30 day trial? I think it's 90. It's 90. Okay. Sorry. My talking points are a little garbled. Uh, So you get a 90 day trial using the code bookriot990. So go and check out the titles that they have. They have a lot of good ones. If you just skim, you can see some stuff that you probably want to read or listen to. And uh, yes, thanks to Playster for sponsoring the show. Okay. Uh, Amanda, you go first. Okay, so, excuse me, I got my rec, and I'm pretty sure Jen did too, from a post that one of our contributors, Rock Harder, did last year. Yep. um, That was a roundup of, it was basically an HIV AIDS reading list, so books about the history of HIV AIDS, um, and it looked, and the post is mostly focused on the UK because that is where Ra is from. Um, so there, I, we will leave a link to the show notes, uh, leave a link to the post in the show notes. So there's, there's tons of stuff for you to read there. So I pulled one out that I thought looked especially interesting and relevant to your question. And it's called Scarlet Ribbons, a priest with AIDS. It's by Rosemary Bailey. And this came out, it was first published in 1998 and it's about, um, a vicar named Simon Bailey, who was a vicar in South Yorkshire, which is like a very traditional sort of mining town uh, in England, and he announced on uh, the BBC that he was dying of AIDS and that he was gay. And he was able to continue working as a vicar and continue his ministry almost up until the point he died because his parishioners came together and were like so supportive of him and provided essentially 24-hour care for this guy who had been, you know, their spiritual leader for so long. Um, so he died in 1995, which which was about nine years after he found out, or after he was diagnosed. And so the book is written by his sister, Rosemary Bailey, who is a journalist, a really well-known journalist in uh, in England, and she pulls together uh, stuff from her own diary, like memories that she like that she wrote, you know, during the time when her brother got sick and was diagnosed. Um, so she pulls together excerpts from her own diary, excerpts from uh, Simon's personal writings, like his letters and his journals, um, interviews with his parishioners and um, other people who knew him into this one story of like growing up with him and realizing that he was probably gay, but never like not having that conversation with him um, or with his family uh, or any, with anyone else in the family. Um, and then realizing as she watched him and her parish or his parishioners watched him like lose a bunch of weight, have a bunch of medical problems that no one could figure out how to fix um, that. This was probably the illness that he had. So it's not just a personal story, but it's also a really interesting look at um, how HIV AIDS and how homosexuality was treated by the church in the 90s in the UK, which is, uh, you know, an interesting sub 
point of the history of this disease. So that's Scarlet Ribbons, A Priest with AIDS by Rosemary Bailey. Okay, yeah, I definitely am recommending this based on Ra's inclusion in the post, but it does look really interesting. I want to read it now myself um, because mm. I know, I, I mean, obviously I'm a U.S. citizen, so I know more about what went on here than I do in the U.K., um, but this book is called The End of Innocence, Britain in the Time of AIDS by Simon and Garfield, and they published it, so it first came out in the 90s, and so it's, I mean, obviously this is like 20 years ago now, so it's very much uh, limited to the time that it was written in. But since you wanted an 80s and 90s view, I think it makes sense. Um, and it was actually published to coincide with World AIDS Day when it first came out. And um, it looks at everything from, like, the first development of the disease to the panic and then to where it got taken up as, like, a good cause uh, for people to support, like, you know, Ian McKellen and George Michael and the Princess of Wales and um, all of these, you know, how it became, like, a celebrity cause from being something that was suppressed and feared and not talked about. And the author is a journalist. So not only did he, you know, do research, um, but he also interviewed people like Stephen Fry and Elton John. uh, And he has information from doctors and government ministers and civil servants and all of these different people who were involved in one way or another um, with the emergence of AIDS in Britain. So I think that will definitely get to some of the information that you're looking for. And that is The End of Innocence, Britain in the Time of AIDS by Simon Garfield. Okay, question two is from Seth, and he says, At the end of the day, my boyfriend and I like to share a reading experience before bed, but we are coming to the end of our most recent. We're looking for something with a lot of adventure, deep world-building stuff we can talk about later, and complex themes. We want to stay away from plots that are heavy on romance. A little is okay, but it pulls us us out of the story. We enjoy fiction, mostly fantasy, sci-fi, speculative fiction, as long as it's fun and immersive. Uh, Previous reads include The Kingkiller Chronicles, The Bardemus Trilogy, His Dark Materials, various David Sedaris and Shirley Jackson, and uh, More Than This by Patrick Ness. Uh, GLBT characters are a plus, but not necessary. Okay. So I kind of latched on to the fun sci-fi part of that question. Um, <laughs> woo! And I went with Blackbirds by Chuck Wendig. Um, this is the first in a series. So uh, if you do like it, you can continue. have a lot of reading material uh, for a while. Um, and this is, it's so fun and weird. It's kind of like urban fantasy. It's... Um, the main character's name is Miriam Black, and she is kind of a garbage monster. <laughs> like, she's just not a good person. Um, she's constantly on the run from the law. She's a grifter and, bas- like, a con artist, and she's very self-centered and has a drinking problem. She's just not great. Um, but she also has this kind of magical power where if she touches your bare skin, she knows exactly when you're going to die and how. And this is what she uses to survive. So, like, when she goes to a bar and, like, uses, you know, her looks to flirt with people who seem to have a lot of money she'll find out when they're going to die so that she can be there at that moment to like take their wallet and this is how she's been surviving but of course the fact that like her dna is all over these scenes of deaths mean that the cops think she's probably some kind of serial killer which is why she's on the run constantly so she hitchhikes uh she's a hitchhiker she hitchhikes a ride with a truck driver named lewis shakes his hand finds out that in about a month he's going to be murdered um with a knife through his eye as he's saying her name, which is the first time that she's ever uh, seen a death that involves her. Um, so she decides that she's going to try to save him uh, and like prevent this from happening because obviously her involvement in his life has caused this weird, like, oh, what's that? Like 
12 monkeys is that the weird time oh right like like time loopy yes time loopy thing um so she can't unmeet him so she decides she's gonna do what she can to save him meanwhile she's being followed by like some fbi people and there's just a lot going on um so there is i mean they the two of them have a romantic um like interaction but it's not it's not a romance at all and it's more of like a paranormal kind of funny horror almost horror Eh, it's not that scary but she has a really really dirty mouth um she has very creative cursing which i think will make reading this out loud kind of fun and hilarious um so that's blackbirds by chuck wendig uh i picked excuse me perdido street station by china mavel which is the first in the bass lag series and i picked it because you said fun and immersive but some of your stuff is on the dark side so i'm hoping this is not too dark for you um but it is really super immersive so this is the this is about a city called new crobazone um where a bunch of people live and Everything seems to be totally fine. It's like a city. There's politics, and there's also weird um, different creatures who are also people. Like, there's a lot of different types of people. So some of them are bird people, and some of them are, like, insect people, and some of them are people with, like, dog heads. It's very strange. (laughs) Um, And uh, there is a scientist who is carrying out research, and he, this um, bird person comes to him for assistance. And by looking into what is going on there, uh, Isaac gets drawn into this much larger plot, um, which includes the most terrifying, like, moth vampire monster things I have ever read about. Um, so fair warning. Uh, and so <laughs> it's it's just like, it's you know, Tiny Mabel has a crazy brain that produces all kinds of amazing and strange and weird things and this is no exception but this is his like er- take on urban fantasy which i think is super interesting and super enjoyable um and also yes it is scary i i, I but i you know you've got some you've got some dark stuff on there you got shirley jackson so like yeah, surely, yeah. surely you'll be all right i don't know give it a look uh but it's there is a couple there are a couple couples um in the book but the own like their relationship is part of the story but it's not the point of the story so i think that qualifies as you know not being focused on romance, which you specified. So anyway, give it a whirl. It's a series, so if you like it, there are multiple books. Uh, and that is Perdido Street Station by China Mabel. Okay, let's see. Question three is from Josie, who says, I need a book recommendation for my husband. His 40th birthday is coming up, and I want to get him a special book to read on vacation together. He loves epic sci-fi and fantasy, although his all-time favorite book is Count of Monte Cristo. He's read and enjoyed The Three-Body Problem, Song of Ice and Fire... Uh, Dune, Ender's Game series, and Robin Hobbs books. He's a doctor and works with cancer patients, so something truly escapist would be appreciated. Oh, yes. Uh, okay, I'm just going to keep talking. So <laughs> I feel like a little bad because Amanda picked Nine Fox Gambit for a later question, but I could not resist putting it in <laughs> for this one because anytime somebody mentions the three-body problem, and I'm like, oh, have you read Nine Fox Gambit, though? Uh, because it has a similar level of super mathy, hard sci-fi to it. So this Nine Fox Gambit is the first in a series. There's The second one comes out, mm, I want to say summer maybe of this year, and it's it's about a captain who gets put on just sort of this impossible mission that involves her being partially possessed by the ghost of an insane and brilliant tactician from like 500 years ago. Uh, and she is 
Like, basically, she figures there's no way she's going to come out of this alive or with her, you know, still having a rank, but she is committed to her job in this space military and is just going to try to get through it. Um, And the thing that I loved about this book is there is so much, like, behind-the-scenes shenanigans. Like, you don't know (laughs) who is... Uh, is trustworthy she has no idea and she's a really compelling main character because she's she's super smart um but she's also very very practical and she has like a fondness for the little service robots that run around which was a nice character touch there's just so many great character touches for all of the um main cast and then supporting characters as well you get a really cool view of this really intense world i will say that the first chapter you're they you and holly just dump you right into it so you mm-hmm. it might take a minute to get your bearings but it's totally worth it um so that is nine fox gambit by yoon ha lee <clears throat> okay um i went with time salvager by wesley chu which i don't know if this is supposed to be a trilogy there are two books out now the second one just came out last year so there might there it's either a duology or a trilogy but i'm not sure anyway um so the first one is time salvager obviously and the book is um you're following a guy named James who is a what's called a cron man and the, it takes place in the several hundred years in the future several hundred years in earth's future and our resources uh humanity's resources on earth are are dwindling but we have cracked time travel um so the job of a cron man is to travel back in time and harvest resources from various points in human history to bring to the future so that we can have like fuel and wood and you know precious metals and medicine and stuff like that um, that we are running out of Um, and so the laws governing this time travel are completely solid you if you break any of them when you come back you will be uh, put in jail put out to pasture the government will execute you like there's a lot of uh, bad consequences for breaking any of the rules Um, and most of the cron men don't ever make it that far they don't retire they don't age out um, because all of what they call a jump, all of the jumps, every time you jump, it like saps another part of you. So you could, you, you have like a finite amount of times you can really do this job. And so James gets offered a mission, which brings enough money, bonus money with it, that if he doesn't successfully, he can functionally retire, which would be like amazing. So he takes it, he goes back in time um, to this like ocean rig, uh, ostensibly to recover a piece of technology. But while he's there, he realizes that something is way off. Um, he gets readings that like another cron man was there very recently. He realizes that the information he's been given is, has been purposefully misleading. Um, and so he knows that like something super weird is going on. And then he meets an intriguing scientist named Elise, who is fated to die when this rig blows up. Um, and he brings her back with him to the future, breaking all of the rules of his job and society and turning the two of them into felons, basically. And then the rest of the book is them on the run. <laughs> Woo! So they're trying to save humanity and also trying not to get caught and executed and, and also trying to survive in, like, the wilds and wastes of a completely pop- uh, polluted and destroyed and nasty earth. So it's very fast-paced. There's a lot of cool world-building going on. It's a, I think it would be a really great kind of beach read. Um, it's heavy, but not so heavy that, like, you're going to sit there and, like, contemplate the purpose of life, the universe, and everything. You're, like, wanting to know what happens. So that's Time Salvager by Wesley Chu. And I think it's my turn. Yeah, okay. Um, Question four is from Pete. 
Uh, let's see. Pete says, I'm looking for unsparing Westerns. I'll be in Texas in a few weeks, then driving to California, and I'd love a bit of a companion read to the landscape I'll be in. I loved Philip Meyer's The Sun and Blood Meridian, of course. There's something about the West and the unsightly history of how it came to be that fascinates me. Lonesome Dove is an excellent book, but doesn't have quite the edge I'm looking for. So any ideas on some gritty, frontiersy romps? I like them prickly, both the pairs and the prose. <laughs> well done. Um... <laughs> That was really good. Uh, let's, uh, I got the recommendation for The Sun on your podcast and just want to say thank you. It's one of my favorites in recent years. Okay. Well, you're welcome. Um, okay. You go, Jen. Okay. All right. Uh, so I am recommending a book that I am halfway through right now. It is Doc by Mary Doria Russell, who you might know from her book The Sparrow, which is like the short version is it's Jesuits in outer space. Uh, this is very different. <laughs> Nothing like it. Uh, it is about... John Henry Holiday, who would become Doc Holiday of like White Earp and Doc Holiday fame. And it is a sort of like it has the feel of the prose of, you know, um, Lonesome Dove or True Grit. Like the prose is very straightforward and uh, super, I don't know. Like, it's not spare. The sentences are not super short, but it's it's very direct. Um, and she is telling the story of how, like, this, you know, gambler and gunslinger came to be the person of legend, which is not at all who he started out to be. Uh, and I am really enjoying it. It has a lot of the historical background that I love in Westerns, but it's also very sort of unsparing to its characters. Like, she's not pulling any punches when she describes the crappy things that her characters are doing. So hopefully that has the prickly edge that you are looking for. Um, and I can only assume it's going to get pricklier as it goes along, because I'm only halfway through and, like, he has only just met... Actually, he hasn't even met Wyatt Earp yet. So, like, I know bad things are coming. We're just not there <laughs> yet. Um, I'm very excited for them to arrive. So, so um, and there's a lot of... It's really interesting because you don't think about the education that some of these people would have received but like holiday was from the south and was like educated to be you know like learn latin and greek and he was going to be a dentist and all of this stuff i had no idea anyway it's fascinating uh so that is doc by mary doria russell Okay, my uh, pick for you is a comic. It's pretty deadly. Volume one is called The Shrike, I think. And it's by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios. And this is just the weirdest comic book I've ever read. Uh, so it's like a magical realist Western um, with like a, this huge mythological thing happening. So it's it was described to me as the Sandman meets Preacher, which is... Completely accurate. That's totally accurate. So um, when the when the comic when the book opens, there are narrators. You find out are a butterfly and a bunny rabbit, and the bunny rabbit gets shot through the head in like the third panel, and then continues to narrate the story as a skeleton. So that's like the weirdness that we're experiencing here. Um, so the basic like premise of volume one is that you're tra you're trying to figure out how this little girl. Um, who follows a con man around these towns in the West becomes death, like the mythological figure of death. So you're like following her on her various and sundry adventures um, f through the first couple of volumes. Side characters are Death Face Ginny, who is the daughter of death, the current iteration of death, who is like a, a guy, not a little girl yet. Um, death Face Ginny is like the most amazing character that I've read in comics. I love her so much. Um, and there's lots of like, 
you know, it is a Western, so there's lots of, uh, you know, like, felons and ne'er-do-wells and gambling and six shooters and, like, saloons and stuff like that. Um, and it is super, super, super violent and gritty and no holds barred. But with this element of, um, you know, mythological creatures coming up from the depths of hell to avenge this, that, and the other thing. Also gambling. Like, just all of these elements thrown together in one mishmash thing of, um, you know, it's just, like, really violent and awesome Western. So that's Pretty Deadly, Volume 1, by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Emma Rios. I co-sign that one. Co-sign, co-sign. Love it. Uh, okay, let's see. Is it my turn? It is my turn. Okay. Oh, no, wait. It's time for our second sponsor, which is you. Oh, that's me. Hey, oh, okay. Um, unprepared. All right. So our second sponsor is, I'm really excited about this one. It's You Are Here, an owner's manual for dangerous minds by Jenny Lawson. Of course, I'm sure most of you know Jenny Lawson. She's the bloggest. She's written a couple of memoirs that I have read and super, super love. She's sardonic and witty and funny and just great. Um, so this book is so interesting. It's a combination of like art therapy, memoir, and a coloring book. So if you follow Jenny Lawson on social media or you read her blog, you know that she uh, does these like really elaborate kind of doodly illustrations um, in or- as like a way of dealing with her anxiety problems. So that's what she does when she thinks this. So she like sits down to draw these like really beautiful elaborate things. Um, she- then she like captions them and puts them up on the internet on her social media feeds and like at signings, her fans bring them to her to sign and all that stuff. And then she realized that like, People keep asking her to put these in a coloring book, and then she, like, did it. So that's what this is, is these drawings, these elaborate drawings that she's done to deal with her own anxiety put into a book that the pages are tear out, so you can color them, tear them out, frame them if you want to. And they are, um, it's interweaved with, like, Jenny's advice on life, the universe, and everything. There's, like, some interesting art therapy snippets put in there, and, of course, her, like, signature um, you know, irreverent form of humor. Some of the drawings are like really funny and silly. Some of them are profane, as is to be expected with Jenny Lawson. Some of them are a little bit dark and heavy. So it's just everything, like everything in life in a in a coloring book dealing with mental illness and therapy and anxiety um, in like a funny way that you are familiar with if you are at all familiar with Jenny Lawson. So that's You Are Here, an owner's manual for dangerous minds, which is out, came out on March 7th from Flatiron Books. So go check that out. And thank you for sponsoring the show. All right, question five is from Haley, who says, I finished A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing a few months ago, and it went instantly to my favorites books list. I've been struggling to find a book similar to that disjointed writing style that also has a poetic feel. I also love Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs and Only Revolutions by Mark Z. Danielewski to give you more examples of what I'm looking for. Okay, just pausing for a moment here to say how good that book is. Oh, man. Girl is a Half-Formed Thing is amazing, but also will wreck you. Just fair warning if you're going to pick it up after hearing this, like, it will destroy you. Um, So I have a book that is a little to the side of this, but it has that writing style. It doesn't, it's not quite the same in terms of subject matter, but since you also referenced Naked Lunch, which is nothing like Girl is a Half-Formed Thing, I think I'm going to be okay. So my pick for you is Terra Nostra by Carlos Fuentes. Fuentes, uh, translated by Margaret Sayers-Peden, which is this really intense, epic story of Spain and South America, uh, and it's got, like, Columbus and Queen Isabella and all of this, you know, the sort of explorers and conquistadors, and then it also has the situation in Spain with all of the different politics that were happening there, and then it jumps around in time, and it's really bananas. I do not have a better way to describe it for you. But because it is so uh, 
it's it's kind of surreal and it has this very fractured writing style that kind of loops around on itself in a way that is not dissimilar from what Amy McBride accomplishes in Girl is a Half-Worn Thing. Like Fuentes is more likely to use actual sentences, which Amy McBride doesn't <laughs> do, um, but the sentences are not always, they are not straightforward sentences and the prose does not move in a linear direction and it will it will take you some, some focusing, but it sounds like that's what you're interested in. And it is an amazing book. Like, it's a really incredible book. Uh, so that is Terra Nostra uh, by Carlos Fuentes, uh, translated by Margaret sayers Peden. All right. My pick for you is Pond by Claire Louise Bennett, who is another um, Irish author. And this is such a weird little... So, like, nothing happens, right? So it's about a woman who's living kind of by herself uh, in a village on a coastal town in Ireland. And she lives her daily life and that is like the extent of the book um and claire louise bennett's writing style is very disjointed in an amor mcbride sort of way i mean there are there are complete sentences but it's uh, it reminded me of a cross between amor mcbride and virginia wolf like very stream of consciousness very much about like the everyday Ooh, nice yeah like this is me meditating on my bowl that i just dropped on the floor this is me meditating on the cows in that field over there uh, sometimes it's a little more profane this is me meditating on going to the bathroom you know that kind of stuff um, but this woman just like lives on her own in a little house on a village on a coast and has neighbors that are sometimes funny sometimes annoying she does her thing goes to the store like it's mrs dalloway but grosser sometimes um and in Ireland instead of London. Um, I really, really liked it. Despite I, I don't usually get behind like books with no plot that are just about somebody doing a thing. Um, but I, I loved it. I don't know her. Her writing style is so fascinating to me. And to me, it, I think it takes like an extra level of skill to make a reader interested in a, in a book where nothing happens, where somebody is just doing a thing that readers already experience every day like making cereal like I don't need to read about making cereal I know how to make cereal but it's just fascinating like the things that she thinks and like ruminates on while she's doing it she is all of us and it's just really great um so that's Pond by Claire Louise Bennett oh it's probably my turn now okay question six is from Laura who says a good friend of mine asked me to recommend something to her along the lines of Watership Down she clarified that she's not looking for a book with anthropomorphized animals necessarily. She just wants something else where she's so invested that she doesn't care if the final pages make her shed tears on the subway. It needs to be uplifting, though, so no Hana Yanagahara. <laughs> That's so real. Uh, another book she wants to recreate the feeling of is Steinbeck's East of Eden. Some of my ideas include A Prayer for Owen Meany and The Count of Monte Cristo. I'd love to pass along your suggestions as well. Okay, I will keep going. Um, I picked Cutting for Stone by Abraham Vergesi because of the East of Eden thing. It is a multi-generational family epic about, uh, like, man's inhumanity to man when the two main characters are twins. So it's very East of Eden-y. Um, and I love this book so intensely. So it's, the two twins are named Marion and Shiva. They're twin brothers. Um, they are the illegitimate children of an Indian nun and a British surgeon who work at a mission hospital in Ethiopia. Um, so the mother dies in childbirth and their father runs off in like his grief. And so the boys are raised in this mission hospital, like functionally by the people like who live there, the employees basically. Um, so they grow up and come of age at in, like against the backdrop of Ethiopia's coming revolution. They both fall in love with the same woman, uh, Marion, uh, and they both become, like, obsessed with medicine, which makes sense because, like, you know, they've got this father figure who's gone and is this mysterious guy who is a, um, a really well-known surgeon, and they grow up in this hospital. Um, so they both become obsessed with medicine. Marion takes a traditional route. He goes to med school. He goes to America, starts working in a New York City hospital, while Shiva um, takes a very untraditional 
uh, route stays in Addis Ababa and um, doesn't like just doesn't do the more uh, like what you think of when you become a doctor. But he's still a medical genius. Um, and so you're following Marion mostly through this book. The past kind of uh, finds him, like the stuff he's been trying to get away from, this woman especially, finds him in New York City, and he has to go find the father who abandoned them and also reunite with his brother to, like, solve all these big problems. So there's so much happening here. There's love, there's um, betrayal and politics and revolution and history and religion. And, like, it, it reminded me a lot of Steinbeck, actually, when I read it. Like, all of these huge, this big, like, giant scope social novel told through the the point of view of these two uh, brothers. Um, But also, I mean, there are no anthropomorphized animals, but you become so, like, you just care so much about what happens to these two boys. And, you you know, you grow up with them, and you will, I mean, you will cry on the subway. I cried in my living room, so I am assuming on the subway you're going to have the same emotional reaction. And you just, like, want to know what happens to them. Like, you just fall in love with them, even though they're not necessarily always likable. You know, they're humans, uh written human so they make a lot of mistakes and 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 make odd choices um but it's just so riveting and like thralling you know and and covers so many generations and i just really i'm obsessed with it so that's cutting for stone by abraham Vergesi. so you like that book a lot is what I you're saying <laughs> will marry it and it's one of those books that like i forget exists hmm. until you know like i read it and i was like obsessed with it and i'm still like low-key obsessed with it and then i i forget that it's I just forget about it until somebody says something about, like, I need a book about twins. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I have one. Uh, okay, so I took – so, the yes, the things I pulled out were you want to be invested, you want to cry, and you don't mind unconventional narrators while your friend does those things. Okay, so I picked Room by Emma Donahue, which will make you cry um, 100%. You get very invested in it, and it has an unconventional narrator because it is narrated by a five-year-old named Jack who has grown up in one room. Uh, he does not mind this because it's all he has ever known. And you get introduced to his life through his point of view, uh, and you start to discover he doesn't know this, but you know it because you are a grown-up when you read this book. Yeah. Um, do not give this book to children ever. Uh, but yeah, so you discover that Jack's mom has been imprisoned by a man who is like, you know, basically, yeah, he's abu- he's abused her for many, many years. Um, she is imprisoned in this shed in his, you know, backyard. Uh, nobody knows where she is, and she has given birth to Jack throughout the course of being held captive. Um, and so... and. Now he's turning five, and she is trying to figure out if there is any way to escape. So you see all of this through Jack's eyes, and it is really intense. Um, It is... It's, like, hard to reconcile the point of view of a precocious child with the grisly realities. And so that is, I think, what makes it so gripping is because you're just like, oh, my gosh, like, he thinks this is a game, but it's not a game. Um, And so – and the movie, which I think – captured the spirit of the book very, very well, will also wreck you. Um, I, that was, like, the first time Jan and I really bond. Our coworker Jan and I saw it together, and, like, we mm. were both sitting there crying. It was very emotional. Oh. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so for 100% guaranteed to make you cry. Um, that is Room by Emma Donahue. Okay. Oh, it's me. All right. Here we go. So the seventh question is from Anonymous. Who says, I've recently decided to become a single mom by choice, and I'm having a hard time finding books on that topic. Most books I've found discuss raising kids post-divorce or other, quote, 
after the fact, unquote, single parenting books. I'm glad these are out there for people, but aside from single by chance, mother by choice, I'm not finding many books on choosing to be a single parent from the start. Since you guys have done some great recs for rough pregnancy and choosing not to have children, I thought you might be able to help with this. Memoirs, essays, even fiction are all fair play here. I try to be widely read, so I'm eager to see what you might be able to find. All right, Amanda, why don't you go first? Okay, I took this to our contributors because we actually have a couple of contributors who have done this, who have dis- who have become single mothers by choice, um, and they had so much, so many recommendations. Um, so I picked one that I thought sounded most appropriate, and it's called "In Her Own Sweet Time" by Rachel Lehman Hopped. Lehman, Lehman Hopped. Well, the spelling will be in the show notes. So if I'm saying that wrong, I'm sorry. Um, and this is a combination memoir slash uh like work of journalism about women who are making that choice uh to have their own family without waiting for a partner and her um the i don't want to say her last name because i keep messing it up the author i'll just go with that the author decided in her 30s that she was ready to have children um but did but did not have a partner and didn't want to wait for that so she went on her own like journalism uh journey to find out her options basically. And she talks about all of the different options and like the frontiers of science uh, and medicine that are happening right now and how those are opening new doors to women who want to have their own families without a partner. Uh, And so she talks about like egg freezing and in vitro fertilization and uh, open adoption and all of these different things that she considered on her path to having her own child. Uh, And so if you wanted, um, like a, a an informative book about what's out there for you as you're making this choice with a touch of like you know advice from someone who's been there I think that would be a good choice. So that's in her own sweet time by Rachel Lemon Hopped. Hopped. <laughs> I just like my shoulders do a little ooh, <laughs> I somehow missed that conversation and now I'm sad that I did cuz I have not read my pick but I read a lot of I went, I went down an intern rabbit hole on this question and read a bunch of reviews and it looks good so hopefully it is. Um it is called Knock Yourself Up by Louise Sloan. I just love that title. Like the title mm-hmm. alone is very excellent and um it is a sort of like funny tell all guide to becoming a single mom um which this author did. Uh so and it's kind of like like the way I'm looking at it is a little bit like Jenny Lawson-esque like she talks about like cyber sp- stalking sperm donors and like <laughs> you know <laughs> other yeah. weird things that happen when you are looking into sperm um and she also uh, talks to other single women who have done this thing um, and, you know, covers, like, coping with loneliness and dealing with finances and how your family members and I might not be 100% on board, um, all the while attempting to be very funny about it. So this sounded like a very entertaining read, at the very least, um, and hopefully we'll have some useful information as well as stories that will make you not feel alone in your decision to go this route, which I super have a lot of ton of respect for. Boy, I just mangled that sentence. But anyway, yes, I have a lot of respect for making this decision. Um, and so, yeah, good luck. And I hope that those books help. Again, that's Knock Yourself Up by Louise Sloan. Okay, our last question is from Nikki, um, who says, I work at a job where I get to keep headphones in all shift, so I'm looking for some great audiobooks to keep me going. Fiction or nonfiction, I just want something that will grab me from the start, but I found I have more attention 
for harder science fiction or nonfiction. I loved your recommendation for Sphere by Michael Crichton some ep- episodes back, so it's so something similar would be great. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in celebrity memoirs. Other than that, I'm open to anything else. Audiobooks I particularly enjoyed were The Devil in the White City, uh, Roadside Picnic, The Lost City of Z, A Confederacy of Dunces, and Guns, Germs, and Steel. <clears throat> okay, so this is the books are nice, we wrecked it twice situation where I picked Non-Part of Nine Fox Gambit um, by Yoon Ha Lee for this one. I won't do the, uh, the plot summary again because Jen already did it, but I picked this one because you said you have more attention for harder science fiction, and this is like some hard science fiction, and I am halfway through this audiobook right now. Um, I will say that uh, in the same way that Jen said the first chapter is like kind of hard going because Yoon Ha Lee drops you right into the action, um, the audiobook was hard going for about the first hour for me because of, um, you know, the world building, as with any hard sci-fi or fantasy book, the, the world building has unfamiliar place names and like societal structural references um and like military terms and stuff that has no context for you as the reader yet um so i had to rewind pretty frequently for the first hour to like commit a name to memory or commit a tidbit of information that gave me a clue about what was going on in the world uh, to memory but once i got the hang of it after the first hour it was told it was like fine uh, and now it's smooth sailing and i'm really really enjoying the audiobook the narrator does voices really well which is something that can really bother me about re- uh, listening to audiobooks if they do weird or bad voices uh it pulls me out of the story uh, but this narrator is great um so that's nine, fi- nine fox gambit by yoon hotley I cannot wait for Raven Stratagem. Like, I, I am just dying. Also, when you get to the end, you need to, we need to talk. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> my pick for you is nonfiction. Um, I was thinking about Devil in the White City and Lost City of Z and Guns, Strips, and Steel. And I am going to recommend to you The Black Count by Tom Rice. Uh, I thought this book was amazing because not only does it tell the story behind um, Alexander Dumas, like, it's his uh his son okay so there's alexander dumas who wrote the three musketeers and then his father general alex dumas was half black and was imprisoned for political reasons during the french revolution so the count of monte cristo is basically about him so he the author tom rice goes looking for this sort of untold story um about the count of monte cristo and in the process uncovers all of these documents like letters and records and all of this stuff that nobody else has managed to get access to before uh that show the life of this general which is super interesting you know we don't we don't we're we have very limited uh popular nonfiction stories about people of color in history and this is a is a really good addition to that very small canon um because uh he does such a great job of positioning it in the historical political and social context of the time which it sounds like you're interested in based on your other nonfiction choices so i learned a ton of stuff about the french revolution i learned a lot about um what was formerly San Domingue, which is now Haiti, um, and its relationship with France about the French aristocracy and what they considered, you know, like potential people of color, how they how they worked them into their society or didn't. It was just super fascinating. Uh, and also, I'm a huge fan of the Count of Monte Cristo, so, you know, I like to know the story behind the story. But I think you will find a lot of the things that you're looking for in nonfiction in this book. So that is The Black Count by Tom Rice. Is that the show? show? Oh, yeah. Hey, look at that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. Well done. I don't know. 
I don't know what I'm doing. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen I-R-L. Jen with two N's. Um, and if you, again, if you have a question you want us to answer, you can email them to us at getbooktobookwrite.com and we will talk to you all next week. Oh, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. I always, okay. Yeah, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. It does make it uh, easier. The sh- it makes it easier for other people to find the show when they're searching for it on iTunes. The more ratings and reviews that thing has, the, the you know, faster it pops up. So go do that. Okay, now we will talk to you on this <laughs> <week. laughs>